If you would, remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, our text will be verse 14 through verse 30. Well, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Now, blessed Lord, we come to this moment, Lord, where we ask that you would open up your word to us, that you would enlighten our minds for understanding it, its truth. You would open our hearts to receive, Lord, the duty prescribed therein, Lord, that you would fill our lives, Lord, with your blessed word, it would shape the way we think, it would shape our paths before us. It would keep us on the straight and narrow. Now, Father, come and show us your glory. Come and show us your wisdom, Lord. Come and give us understanding. Come, O Lord, and feed us your sheep, Lord, your heavenly manna. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 14. Hear now the word of the living God. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. For you are faithful with a few things and I will put in your charge, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, our Lord on these final moments of his earthly life continues to impress upon his listeners the need to live responsibly and accountably at his departure so that when he returns, there will 
certainly be a reckoning and, and there would be some found faithful. He wants us to hear these words. He wants us to, to grasp, if you will, the, 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 the need for all of God's people to live with this expectation. Not only that our Lord is going to come back, but that when he comes back, there's going to be a reconciling of things. There's going to be a reconciling of duties, responsibilities, of, of gifts, of all of these things that our Lord has graciously deposited with each and every person. There will be an accounting taking place. The context certainly is enlightening. And I want to remind us of that broader context. The series of lessons our Lord is emphasizing his departure and return. That is, what's the expectation of his people? What is the expectation God has for us who are living in this period of expectation. Just as it was for them, so it is for us. In Matthew 24, in verse 43, if we look back, because this is where these lessons begin, notice that our Lord Jesus speaks of the head of the house. And he speaks that the head of the house, if he had known that the night and the hour that the thief would break in, he would have, he'd be alert. You can see here that our Lord is emphasizing the need to be alert and not slumber. Verse 45 or 44 and 45, the Lord is teaching us to be faithful and sensible during this time of expectation. Versus what? Unfaithfulness, right? Unperceiving, not understanding the, the days in which we live, not understanding the expectations that are required of us by our master. Verse 1 through 13 of chapter 25, the wise and prudent virgins, vigilance, maintaining and keeping a watchful heart, a discerning mind, being able to recognize the, 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 the circumstances, the situations, the time in which you live, how we respond, how we act to those things. The parable before us now in the, ten, uh, the parable of the talents addresses this outward activity of the believer it's clear that the, the contrast here is between work and laziness. Work and laziness. In this parable, notice our Lord continues this theme of an absentee master. He's used this several times already. Again, the expectation that our Lord is fixing to be handed over. He's fixing to be crucified. He's going to be raised from the dead and he's going to ascend and take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father where for a time he will be absent from this earth physically. But will come again, he says. And when he does come again, there's going to be a great reconciliation take place. There's going to be a, a great accounting, if you will, of all of man's deeds, his thoughts, his words, and his actions. And how we live in this life will be rewarded or punished on that day. Are we kingdom workers or are we lazy? Do we have a kingdom mindset when it comes to spiritual trade, if you will, if we take the parable, the teaching of this parable, if we take it at face value, we ask ourselves, are we spiritual traders and laborers? Are we investing in the kingdom of God? 
that deposit that God has given to each and every one of us. What are we doing with that entrustment? What are we doing with that entrustment? What are we doing with that deposit? Look at the parable itself. There's a master and there are servants. First, I want to bring out that there is not a better description of the Christian and Christ than the master and slave. That's just a perfect description. The master is sovereign. The master is the one that controls everything. He owns everything. He's the one who dispenses as he pleases his property to whom he pleases. When he pleases. And the word servant there is the the perfect word meaning bond slave in that everyone in the kingdom of heaven made a decision to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what a bond servant is. A bond servant is someone who chooses to stay with his master, who has made a choice to be the servant of his master. And as the tradition goes, they would, the bond servants would be marked by the piercing of an ear marking that that slave had made a, 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 a decision to stay with his or her master. And that's the picture here. This is certainly not an ugly picture because, again, we have a master who is going away. We don't know why he's going away. It's not important to the story or Jesus would have told us. Nevertheless, he's going away and yet he has determined that he wants to entrust his estate with these three servants. And this estate is impressive. It's massive. It's very, he's a very wealthy man. It's estimated that one talent is worth 15 years of salary. That's no small matter. That's no small sum, is it? Not when you add them all up. He's going away for whatever reason, and he entrusts. That's the word that is used there by our Lord in teaching this. He's entrusting his servants with this money so that they would invest it so that when he comes back, he has made a profit on his investment. That's the picture. And that's why the third servant who went away and dug a hole and put the money in it, our Lord tells him what? You should have at least gone and given it to the bankers so that they could earn interest on it. You are a wicked, lazy slave. You've done nothing with what I've given you. I'm entitled to the profits of my investment. Now, Jesus in this illustration for us this morning is the master. He is the one who has deposited and gifted the church with the spirit and its power and its its energy, spiritual vitality, and gifts in order to perform the work of the kingdom on earth. Well, the servants are the visible church. They represent the visible church, the membership of the church. The doctrine is easy. The doctrine that we are to focus on and that we are to extract from the text is this. Being faithful with what I have, with what the Lord has given me is required. Being faithful with what I have and with what the Lord has given to me is required. Now, this goes beyond the uh, addressing the ministers of the kingdom, those that Christ is called to perform the, the sort of the, the religious work in the preaching of the gospel and whatnot. This, this, well, this involves the whole church. This is everyone. 
It would certainly apply to ministers as well because ministers are members of the church. They make a profession of faith. They seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ. They also have been gifted not only to perform the work of the ministry, but also to live out the Christian life just like every other Christian. If you look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, let me just point something out here. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you look right there in verse 10, he says, He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now here is the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ gifting the church with men, but obviously men that are gifted, men that have been gifted, men that have, have received a, an entrustment, a deposit of the spirit according to various gifts that God wants to employ in the church. But notice what it's for. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now that's all of us. That the membership would be equipped for what? For the work of service. That is until our Lord, as our Lord has gone up to heaven, he's ascended up to heaven, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father until he descends and comes back again, we are to be doing the work of service of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom. Let me put it another way. Let me, again, as we grapple with this, as we put this clearly in our minds, we certainly want to be clear. We could think about this way. That is all I have, right? All I have, according to the parable, I have on stewardship. And how will my Lord find my stewardship when he comes back again? All I have, all I've been given is based on an entrustment. I'm the steward over what the Lord has graciously, kindly given to me. And how will I be seen when he comes back for his investment? Will we be found faithful? Or will we be found wicked and lazy? It's a very convicting thought. I think most of us genuinely run to places in our heart and our mind ways in which we are not faithful, things that we know we should improve on when we hear things like this, when we see this, right? And that's the point. I mean, that's the goal. That's the point. That's, it's, it's the parable that our Lord is using. He, he's about to go away. And notice even in the text, look at verse 16. Immediately, or um, back up to verse 15. And the one who gave five talents, two according, according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. In Greek, it's, in Greek, there is this emphasis of, and he immediately went away. You might see that in the King James Version. And straight away, he, he, that means he was, here it is, here's what, here's what your investment is, this is what I'm entrusting to you, and he's gone. Which is the picture of where Jesus is in history. He's about to be seized, arrested, tried, and he's going to be crucified. And he's going to ascend into heaven to sit by his Father's right hand and also, so we, we're, we're to grapple with this idea of listening to this and then asking ourselves, I mean, the, the, the generosity, I mean, there's so many things we could point out, right? Look, the master's generosity. 
one five talents. Five times 15 year salary. One two talents. One one talent. Uh, just the very one talent. At minimum, what, 15 year salary. So you, you don't look at this and you don't, in understanding the context, understand the monetary value of a talent, you don't look at the master and say, well, he's stingy at all. In fact, he's generous. To some, he's gloriously generous, but he's generous to all. And notice what it says. In verse 15, each according to his own ability. That our parable is emphasizing that our sovereign Lord, our master, right, gave to each one according to this ability. Well, who, who is, how does he know this ability? Because he even gives that. Well, let's get into it so that we can certainly profit from the application of it. When we talk about these talents, and this is going to be a, a truncated list. I believe there could be many more. But these talents, at least when we open up the Word of God, there are various gifts of the Spirit that I'm going to highlight in this and, and, and assert as these are the talents that are deposited to the people of God. And the purpose of the talents is that they would be traded, they would be used, they would be worked at in order for them to increase. That there would be a, an, a, a, a return of labor and investment upon our labors. Let me give you several of them. The first one, the ministry itself. The ministry is a deposit to the people of God, this ministry, the gospel, the government of the church, the means of grace. All of these things are to be utilized. And you say, well, pastor, that's not really in my heart. Well, think about this. The empowerment that you have in you is the desire and ability to what? Use these things that God has not only gifted the church and whole, but he's gifted us to participate in this church. He's gifted us that we might utilize these situations so that we would improve upon our own giftedness. What's the purpose of the ministry? Well, to improve ourselves spiritually, to strengthen ourselves spiritually to promote the kingdom of God more and more and more by our maturity, by our understanding, by our willingness that the more we learn, the more we love him. The more I know, the more I want to do. The more that I can see his glory, the more I want to serve this king and master. You look at Romans chapter 12, there's a list there of gifts. And notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives in his liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in, uh, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, uh, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. These are, this, this is what he's talking about. Now, let me say this. I, I believe text that I just read out of Romans, the parable and other texts, 1 Corinthians 12 and others, 
teach us that our Lord has gifted his church to do the work of the kingdom. And local bodies are gifted. In God's sovereignty, you look at the membership of of Chalcedon Presbyterian Church. We have members. Each member is gifted with certain gifts to be used how? To be used for the, the, the advancement, the furthering, the investment of the kingdom so that there would be this trade-off so that when our Lord comes back and, and, and examines each member here, we would give a successful account of what we were given, the ministry. You think about the gospel. We're talking about the, the ministry, the government, the, the sacraments, the helps, the means of grace, uh, order in the church. But you think about the gospel. To the church has been given the gospel. What's the gospel for? Well, the gospel is to be preached for the salvation of sinners. So that sinners might come face to face with Jesus Christ and, and believe they are sinners themselves and repent of their sins and confess their sins and, and embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior and be a new creation in Christ, living a different life in this world, then partaking, being the, in the kingdom of God is in them and then they're acting out in this kingdom realm and entrusted with these gifts and talents and employing them so that they would increase in these, well, gifts. It's like this, beloved. And Jesus emphasizes this, and I'll get it in my application, but it's like this. If, if there is, the, with all of the things you've been given, If you don't utilize them, they will be taken away. And it's that way for individuals. It's that way for churches. All that the church needs to perform her calling in this world has been entrusted to its membership. Paul even tells Timothy... To do what? Guard that which has been entrusted to you as a minister of the gospel. Guard this entrustment of this truth, this spiritual truth. Guard it. Watch over it. Diligently defend it. Make sure that you understand Timothy, that you are to labor at these things, that you ought to work at these things. These ought to be how you make your living, but also this is by the sweat of your brow. Just as a farmer hairs up the ground and plants the seed, so the preacher is to labor in the word of God and defend it and protect it from all adversaries. And what are some of the pertinent applications we can make for ourselves this morning? Well, the first one is this, that our Lord has given to each one of us as he pleases. And it's not the same for everyone. Some have more, some have less, but each one according to our ability. I mean, there's a message right there, isn't there, in this day and time, right? The envying, the coveting, the greed, not being able to acknowledge the gifts and the talents and the beauty and the glory that God gives to someone else, but that we somehow sinfully covet what they have. Because of their use of these gifts, they become very, what, um, 
prosperous in these gifts. We envy, we envy their status in the church. I mean, that I mean it goes on among preachers, preachers envying other preachers, preachers coveting the accolades and the prestige of another minister, not recognizing that what God has given to you must be exercised and steward over, and that all is according to your ability. Our Lord makes it clear that he is sovereign and he is the one that dispenses these talents and he does so as he pleases. And not everyone has the same amount. Some have five, some have two, some have one. Notice there's no criticism given to the two or the one. There's no criticism. Our Lord doesn't come back and criticize the, the one who had two and doubled it. He doesn't say, well, why didn't you have, why didn't you do what the five talent slave did? No, he doesn't do that. He's commended. Why? Because that slave took what he was given and used it. He traded with it so that he could advance and increase in the kingdom of heaven. These graces. We have to stop, beloved. I believe envy is a great sin in the modern church. Being content with what you have, where you are, with what you've been given. I had us talking to a preacher one time and he described ministry as, you know, uh, we were talking about ministry and preaching and whatnot and, and, and just the number of small churches. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the average reformed church is less than 70 members. It's less than 70 members. May even be less. That, that statistic is probably eight, nine years old might even be less now maybe hopefully it's more but at that time 70 members and we were talking about bigger churches uh, and smaller churches and, and this is something that I dealt with as a pastor I know other ministers who pastored smaller congregations they deal with it as well is in that some of the membership you know who are eager to to be larger you know we're not talking about the desire to grow we're just not talking about that that genuine desire to see the the gospel expand and people are saved and the church's resources are are collected so there's more ministry that that's all fine and good, but just this idea that they want to be a larger church, more prestigious church, more because the larger you are, the more prestigious you are, the more serious people take you, right? They're obviously doing something right. And what happens is these members will go out and they'll buy all of the latest books on how to be that church. And what inevitably happens is they read the book, and again, I think these are sins of immaturity, um, some naivete involved in it. But they come back and they say, "Look, we need to look. That church in New York does this, this, and this." Now we're a rural church, you know, down in Bibb County, outside of Macon. I mean, it's not New York. We can't do those things. Number one, we only have so many people. We only have so many resources. We only have so many people that can, by the time you take the, the aged, by the time you take the moms, by the time you take those who have family duties and roles and responsibilities and whatnot, and when you boil it all down to those who can actually do it, there you have, you have a small few serving the greater good of the body trying to be something that they are never called to be by God's grace because they're not there. 
that God gifts the church where it is, where he's been pleased to bring it to birth. And this, this is what you have. This is what you, th- 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 look around you. Here's your resources. Are you being faithful with what you have? Which is our second point. This is a question. Are you responsible? Or, or let's, let's make the statement, not the question. You are responsible for what you have, not what you don't have. It's what you have that you're responsible for, not what you don't have. The two-talent servant was not responsible for the five. The one-talent servant was not responsible for the two. You can only be responsible for what you have, not what you don't have. And, And this comes into play with many zealous Christians who want to do more and more and more. And they really do agonize about, am I doing enough for the kingdom of God? They love the Lord and they want to serve the Lord and they want to, you know, I mean... We want to win the whole world to Christ. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Well, except if that paralyzes you from working here. It's interesting that there'll be all kinds of missionary conferences going on all over the South. And we can talk about going to Africa, and we can talk about going to Brazil, South America. We can talk about China. We can talk about Saudi Arabia. We can talk about all these other countries, but we don't have to go far to share the gospel. We don't have to go far to save babies. We don't have to go far to see poor people. We don't have to go far to find people that are hurting and starving and in their need. We don't have to cross the big pond. Often all we got to do is cross the street. This is the point. The question is always not can I do more per se, except that the question needs to come back is what are you doing with what you have? Because if you're not faithful with what you've been given, how dare we ask for more? Right? What an arrogance to ask God for more when he's already so gracious with the talents to distribute them and go dig a hole and put it in there. It's a convicting message, isn't it? I'm convicted I was convicted. I'm still convicted. I'm preaching even to my own conviction that I'm looking at these things and thinking, am I doing what I can do with what I've been given? Thirdly, being faithful with what you have, even if it's a little, even if it's a little compared to others, yields great reward. Look at look back at Matthew twenty five. Tell me the difference. Tell me the difference in the reward from the five talent servant to the two talent servant. Verse twenty. And the one who had received five talents came up, and brought five more talents, saying, "Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more." His master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." Look at it, the joy of your master. Well, what's the difference in? Verse 22, and the two, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See, they, what, what is our Lord judging? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you faithful with what you've been given? 
and some more and some less. But are you faithful? And you know what? I'm, I was, I'm just convicted that even in so many staunchly reformed churches who have it all together in their government, they've got it all together in their ministry, their pastor, their elders, their deacons, but are they doing as much as that little old country Baptist Armenian church? We can pontificate all day long about what things ought to be. But I'm afraid too often it's digging a hole and putting the talent in it versus what I must believe and what I must do. I have to work out my faith with fear and trembling. I have to carry forth my convictions into practice. I have to go out with these gifts and talents that God has entrusted me with, and I have to, what, trade for the kingdom of heaven, tell someone about Christ, help someone who is in need. What's the next, what's the next parable about? The great white throne judgment. Jesus, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in need? I don't remember. But you, what you did unto the least of these you did to me. I am not condemning missionary work at all when I say what I did about looking around us for people to serve here. I, I'm not condemning it all. I'm, I'm, I praise God for men and women and families that go and commit themselves to that work. But brothers and sisters, if we have, if we have convinced ourselves that that's all that there is, then we've missed it. We, we don't understand the entrustment that God has given to us because it immediately starts in our own homes, does it not? Serving and loving each other, ministering to one another. I mean, again, it, it's, I, I'm probably going to step on some toes, but that's okay. I, I can't. The church seems at times to be full of people that are willing to go minister to another family versus their own family. And I know it's easier sometimes. I mean, even our Lord said a prophet is without honor in his own home. It's not easy. we are still called to it. We're called to things that are not easy. You can imagine this idea of trading, right? That's not an easy thing. It's work. It's laborsome. It's something that needs to be done. I mean, it says right away that, that they went out. Look at verse 16. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. I mean, he's eager to do it eager to take this deposit, this entrustment, and prove that he was faithful with it so that when his master came back, he'd have something to present his master with and say, look, look what I've done for you. And let us not forget, it is about our Lord. And I have to move quickly to that point. There's a reason. And, and when you look at small cities, churches are building. Campuses, that's what we call them now. We call them campuses. And, and I, I, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. A lot going on in those places. But here's the thing, beloved. We don't build institutions to men. We build the kingdom of heaven. 
And we do that with the gospel. We do that with service. We do that with love. We do that with ministry. We do that with, with helps. We, we, we do that so that our Lord, as, as, he's, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that when, when people see your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not about us. Chalcedon is about any preacher. It's not even about the history of the Reformed faith. Chalcedon, like all other gospel preaching churches, is about Christ, the heavenly reign and rule of Christ. Now, in here, right now, in this world, the discipleship of the nations. Point number four, having little is not sinful. Having, having lesser gifts is not sinful. It's doing nothing with it that's sinful. You know, I mean, when you look at the, the great lights of the church, you look at even great churches that have done amazing things for the the, 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 the gospel spreading the earth and we should applaud and praise God for them and, and praise God that there are, there are five talent ministers, there are five talent congregations, there are five talent churches and whatnot and we're not all alike. But what, again, that, it's not sinful not to be that, that influential what is sinful is taking what influence we do have and not using it. Not being content with that. Well, I've got to finish the story when I was talking to this minister. He described his ministry as, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a 50-acre pastor. I'm a five-acre pastor. And he's talking about sort of the vineyard working out there, laboring, toiling, weeding, and that kind of thing, doing the work of the ministry. He goes, I, I recognize that I, I'm just not a 50-acre pastor. I, 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 don't, I don't have the ability. I don't have the gifts. I don't have what it takes to sustain a congregation, their interests. He goes, but I'm a pastor that is able to take a few people and minister to them. And, and he was the sort of the minister over... Um, you know, all of the older saints and he would visit them, pray with them, make sure their needs were met. He goes, that's my place. That's where God's called me and that's what I'm doing. And, and, and I thought of him when I was putting this lesson together. He's being faithful with what? The gifts. And God is pleased with that. See, He's not sitting around coveting what someone else has. He's just doing what he can do for the glory of God. No, laziness and sinfulness comes with not doing anything with what you've been given. And that's the third servant, is it not? Let's spend a moment talking about the contempt of this third servant. Look at verse 24 and said, the one who had received the one talent came up and said, now notice, notice the difference in this slave versus the other two. The other were eager to come up. They were eager to show that they had been faithful with what they're entrusted with, but there is a smugness and an arrogance to this third slave. In verse 24, notice his first words. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now, let me stop there and make some comments. Those words reveal his contempt for God. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. His contempt for God is demonstrated in his view of God. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. 
What contempt? He had just been given 15 years salary to go invest. What contemptment this slave has for his generous master. And brothers and sisters, I think it's equal and the same for us. That is, oh, I will serve the Lord if this. Oh, if, if this, then, yes. But I, not right now. I mean, if I was a missionary, oh, if I could go over to Africa, I could really spread the gospel. Not across the street. I don't really care about them people. I care about them other people. I care about that family, not so much my family. I'm all excited about what the other church is doing, not what I can do in my church. What contempt. Notice what he went on to say. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered not. And look at verse 25. Notice, and I was afraid. That's not faith. I mean, this, the, all of this is not a faith at all. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Now, again, our Lord's response to him is telling. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seeds. Now he's addressing his hypocrisy, his contradiction, if you will. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if you really believe these things, why didn't you just put the money in the bank instead of burying it? You're hip, you are hip, hypocrite. You know, I think about this third slave. I mean, we know the church is a mixture of, of, of membership, right? But I think about this third, third slave. I, I think about Judas. I mean, Judas walked with the Lord. He saw the miracles. Judas was tasked to go out and preach the gospel. He saw the miracles. He saw people come to know Jesus Christ. He saw people confess their sins. He knew that Jesus Christ, he saw the healings, the miracles, the power of God in Christ, and yet he envied what others had. He was greedy. He was selfish. He was the ultimate hypocrite, was he not? Brothers and sisters, we must be aware ourselves that laziness is outward contempt of our own God, our Lord, our master, because he's been so gracious, he's been so good, he's been so benevolent to pour out upon us many gifts. And then lastly, to understand that faith does produce works, James chapter 2. What does James say in chapter 2? He says, listen, I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show it to you. I, I, will, I will show you that I am a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ by the things that I work at, by the things that I put my hands to, by the, by the how I spend my time, by how I spend my money, by how I help people. By the things I'm willing to do, the minister, even if it doesn't get all the praise, it doesn't get all the glory, but the master sees it. The master knows about it. And it's the master's praise we seek. Remember what the Jesus told the Pharisees? He said, oh, you've had your, you've had your accolades. You got all the praise that you're ever going to get on earth. You had you, you, you lengthened the tassels on your garments. I mean, you made a big show of men and men praised you. Men set you in the, in the uh, front seats, in the front rows. They gave you all the privileges, but that's all you're going to get because you're not getting any from me. Because all you wanted was the accolades of men. 
That's not why we do this. We do this, beloved. We carry out our faith with this diligence, putting to death unbelief every day, putting to death laziness every day, putting to death excuses every day. I mean, not perfectly, but yes, putting them to death, reassessing ourselves, reexamining ourselves, looking at our circumstances, looking at our situation, asking the questions, Lord, what can I do with what you've given me to bring you glory so that on that day when you come again, I will too hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little and I shall now give you much to be faithful over. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And you see, beloved, as Christians, we should not thirst after the accolades of men, but after the praise of God and the praise of our Savior. And yes, you may have a heart to do way more than you're doing. Praise God. But you have to be faithful here first. You have to be faithful with the little things in your life first before you go and the Lord gives you greater responsibilities. Don't always, look, just because it's bigger, grander, and more involved doesn't mean you're ready for it. Doesn't even mean you're prepared for it. Let the Lord determine that. And always ask yourself, if I'm being faithful with the little I have, or even the the much, To whom much is given, much is required. Let's end with this warning right there in verse 27 and 28. Or 28, therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he with an abundance, but but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Here's Here's the principle. If we aren't exercising what we have been given, I don't know the circumstance, I don't know the timing, I don't know how, I don't know when, but what the lesson teaches us is the Lord can take it away from you. You're not always guaranteed to have these gifts. The Lord can come at any moment and say, that's enough. You're not doing anything with it and I'll take it away. Why? Because they're sovereignly administered. They're sovereignly distributed. They're sovereignly given by the master to whomever he pleases, whenever he pleases, and he takes up those when he pleases and gives them to others so that those who have been faithful, even with much, rather, even if much or small, they are given more because they've proven themselves to be faithful with what they have, not what they desire but with what they have brothers and sisters we end with the gospel the lord has given us new life in christ he's given us the gift of faith he's given us the gift of repentance we've has but but have you come to the place where you have put your trust in christ that you've confessed your sins that you've seen yourself as a sinner that you have that you see yourself in the need of being a new creation in christ that you've put your faith and trust in him that you've made a decision to follow him that you've been baptized that that you want to go on you want to expand on the kingdom of heaven you want to glorify your master in heaven and it doesn't matter what another man has or another woman has. What matters is what you've been given, what you have. Have you said in your own heart and mind recently, God, you are so generous. You are so good to me. It's so easy for us to long and to envy what others have and do nothing with what we have. Let's change that this morning. Let's realign our thinking. Let's realign our hearts, beloved. Let's ask ourselves privately before God, Lord, with what you've entrusted with me, I want to be faithful. I want to be that five-talent, two-talent person when you come back. I want to double 
what you give me. I want to spiritually trade up because you're worthy and I love you. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, your word tells us that laziness is a great sin. Many places in your word, Lord, we are reminded of the aggravation and the grievous nature of a man and a woman that's lazy unwilling to to do what's required of them and the the basic things lord the things that all men and people are responsible for and even in a religious matter and manners lord it's even greater we pray oh lord that you would keep us from this sin of laziness from the sin of hypocrisy lord keep us from having contempt in our hearts lord let us re-examine who we are with you and what we have and that and reassess lord how we can employ our talents and gifts, our abilities for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.